Hello and welcome to Society Owes Me a Gen X podcast. That one where Lily and Hannah go A to X through grunge, indie, alt, rock, pop, movies, soundtracks, TV and generation, general generation Catalano goodness. Hello Lily, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Hannah? Okay, stumbling over my words. Because but... <laughs> you're so excited about what we're doing today, right? Yeah, I'm pretty excited actually. Me too. Yay. Been counting down the minutes. Oh. Ta-da. Yep. So here we are. We're going to do Counting Crows. We are basically picking our five fave tunes. Hannah's doing August and Everything After. I'm doing so This Dead of Life. As much as <laughs> Hannah commits to. You know how she loves her covers and her sideways views on things. So I'm expecting it. I'm ready for it. I've even no, got one no myself covers. tonight. No ah. covers. Oh, I did, I did a cover. Oh. Thing in mine. Great. Well, that puts You know, in your honour, obviously. So. Oh, is it Madonna's borderline? No. <laughs> Actually. How is that? They've covered it, but I couldn't find it on Spotify. So. Oh. No, it's somebody else doing that. Oh. Yeah. Oh, is it Madonna doing Catherine Crows? <gasps> oh, perish the thought. <laughs> okay, well, should we get stuck in then? Mm hmm. Well, actually, or should we start with a few. Sorry. A few basic Counting Crows <coughs> facts, because um, yeah. I can't find my playlist at the moment. Right, okay, so they formed at San Francisco, 1991. <clears throat> and in alphabetical order, they were, or are, uh, guitarist David Bryson, um, who, oh, first linky linky here, um, I believe he's also a producer, and um, he's worked with several other people, including Mr Bungle. He recorded the Mr Bungle tape, uh, OU818. Ah. I know you're a big Mike Patton fan, aren't I you? I am, yep. Uh, so also drummer um, Jim Bogios, uh, vocalist Adam Duritz, keyboardist Charlie Gillingham, multi-instrumentalist David Imagluk. Uh, now also, fun fact about him, was that he's also a camper van Beethoven and, I hope I brought this right, um, he was in the Monks of Doom, who I believe oh, you yes. actually introduced me to very recently. Um, and the, I don't know, you won't be able to tell anyone... <laughs> Why? <laughs> the eagle-eared among 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 our lovely listeners um, may uh, may know, and if you know, you know. Let us know. <laughs> if you did, you catch that? Yeah. Um, so uh, to all monks of doom fans, get at us. You know why? You know why? <clears throat> you know why? Okay. Uh, also, bassist Millard Power, who another fun fact, Linky Linky. Um, was previously in a band called Majosha. I might have pronounced that incorrectly. Um, but he was in that with, um, on bass, none other than Mr. Ben Folds. Way back in 1988, I believe they went to college together. Um, oh, and he was also then in another band with um, with Ringo Starr's uh, son, I think. <laughs> Zach. Sorry. Is it Zach? No. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, and finally, guitarist Dan Vickray. Uh, no fun facts about him. I'm sure he's a very fun guy. He's a lovely bloke. His dog loves him. Do you know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right, so yeah. Uh, as uh, you said, most of my songs are going to come from August and Everything After, which uh, we did cover way, way, way back. Don't remind anyone about that. Our very, very first episode, which I think we've agreed <laughs> we're probably just going to delete <laughs> forevermore. Because we both happened to listen to the last 20 minutes in preparation for this to remind ourselves of what we uh, what we did speak about when yeah. we briefly covered Honestly, the album. Any, any mention of that is like... It's worse it's like than someone's, someone's walking over my grave. 
So if you did listen to that and you've stuck with us until now, Jesus, I don't know why, but uh, what's wrong with you? Thanks. Okay, so oh, so yeah, for me, Counting Crows I mean, is is really August and everything after. Um, I absolutely love this album. Played it to death. Um, and then I don't know. I've always continued to like the band, but I did just you know drop off after this, and no other Counting Crows album has meant as much to me as this one did. Um, which is why I found it quite difficult to narrow it down to a a top five. Um, I'm going to kick it off with Round Here, which which is the first track on the album. Um, haunting. Um, yeah, Haunting. What can I tell you about it? So, well, I'll tell you what, what, what Adam said about it. For some reason, I feel more comfortable calling him just Duritz. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not first name terms. And yet you make Duritz. fun of my... <laughs> Are you going to call him Adam? <laughs> I don't know yet. I'm not sure. Okay, so Durrett said, This is a song about me. The song begins with a guy walking out the front door of his house and leaving behind this woman. But the more he begins to leave people behind in his life, the more he feels like he's leaving himself behind as well. And the less substantial he feels about himself. That's sort of what the song's about. Even as he disappears from the lives of people, he's disappearing more and more from his own life. So he says it's about him, but it's also where we first meet. And Maria... Her. He's talking about Maria being misunderstood. Isn't she a um, what do you call it? A uh, there's a there's a very wonderful term for this, isn't there? She's a sad and lonely girl from Nashville who contemplates <laughs> suicide. No, there's like it's like an artistic device. Oh, what well, like yeah, not uh, not a muse. Like it's not a muse. Like kind of means yeah, a sort of yeah. interchangeable kind of muse which sort of fits all kind of empty spaces. Yes. For, he does there that a, a lot. There is a phrase, and I can't. He does it. that a lot, and I've got yeah, I've got some more stuff that he said about. He does it in so many of his songs, so I'm sure we'll come onto it a bit more. But yeah, I can't think of the term, and I don't think he's uh, he mentions the term explicitly himself either. Um, but yeah, a bit of a history. Um, this song. So he actually wrote it back when he was in his previous band, the Himalayans. Uh, at the University of California. So he wrote it with uh, guitarist Dan Jewett, bassist Dave Janusco, and uh, drummer Chris Rolden. Uh, and Jewett wrote the lyrics. Um, so with the Himalayans, it was one of their, or I think the, their most popular live tune. So when Jurits formed, now I feel like I should call him Adam. I'm gonna call him <laughs> Adam now. You know, Adam. you can, you can yeah. just interchange, it's fine. All right. So when Adam formed Counting Crows, uh, he took the song with him um, and with his new bandmates worked up a new version which was included on August and Everything After but he made sure that he credited both everyone in both of the bands for it so it's got like eight people credited as, as the songwriters um, so yeah uh, a lot of the lyrics are um, um, it's sort of nostalgic the, the, the chorus is a, is a bunch of you know sayings that you're parents say to you you know around here we always stand up straight around here we're carving out our names and he said about that that you're told as a kid that if you do these things it'll add up to something you'll have a job um and for me and for the character in the song they don't add up to anything it's all a bunch of crap your life comes to you or doesn't come to you but those things didn't really mean anything and by the end of the song he's so dismayed that he's screaming out that he gets to stay up as late as he wants and no one makes him wait um and those are obviously things that you you know you want to do when you're a kid uh, but they don't make any difference at all when you're an adult. 
Relatable, huh? Absolutely. Um, there's a video uh, directed by Mark Neal. Um, it was the second video that they did after Mr. Jones and the last one that they did for, uh, for the album because Adam um, freaked out a bit at uh, how popular they got and um, wanted to scale back the promotion when they became too popular. He said, I saw people around me putting out records that got a little too big and that was the end of them. I didn't want that for us and so I stopped it. And uh, I think Hootie and the Blowfish was one of the, uh, one of the main ones that they cited. <laughs> they didn't really make much of a splash here, did they? <laughs> well, no, not really. Um, yeah. What do you think around here? Love it? I do. But there is a, a sort of incredibly maudlin amount of songs on this album, which I'm not complaining about. But, yeah. It's, it's like... I mean, I, I, I bring it up basically in in this desert life because there's a, a track on it which is like I just feel if you bought August and Everything After Desert Life if you if you bought August and Everything After on the strength of loving Mr. Jones mm -hmm. this Desert Life is the album you were expecting to get right okay but you didn't <laughs> do you know what I mean so if you really love Mr. Jones and that was your gateway drug to Counting Crows then my theory is you, you've got to love a lot of, of this desert life. Yeah, I wonder if people did really buy almost everything after on the basis of Mr. Jones. Because they didn't actually release them as singles, did they? No, hang on. Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. I, I thought they didn't release them as singles because they wanted people to buy the album instead. Because wasn't there a, some issue with, like, Billboard? I've got it here. There's a reason, so let's see. Yes, at the time, <clears throat> I have robbed this from Wikipedia verbatim. At the time, Counting Crows didn't release singles in the US, so listeners would buy, ah, so it was in the US they didn't release them as singles. So listeners would buy albums instead because it was more lucrative and you would get a more complete listening experience. Yeah, but um, how the hell did they get people to... Well, because, so Billboard didn't allow non-single songs to chart on the Hot 100 until 1998. So round here... Um, is a bit of a weird one because it got to number 31 on the airplay chart uh, which was later integrated in the Hot 100 but they must have thrown some released a single in the US shitload of money from the record company at this album then I mean yeah yeah didn't they start some sort of bidding war I don't know didn't they? you guys I'm having flashbacks from the dreaded first ever episode of Society Has Me and podcast which hopefully no by the time you listen to this doesn't even exist <laughs> and hopefully you were never subject to it but anyway right. so it doesn't matter we can repeat ourselves as much as we want hey guys look forward to the Alanis um, Morissette episode <laughs> and also oh God. Hannah gets to do you two's acting baby again so I, know I actually like really like that album it's just <laughs> Bonnie's a funny yep we've established um, alright uh, we're going to keep this kind of chrono chronological then aren't we yeah. All right. <clears throat> so this is not from August and Everything After, but it is from... Hmm, so our deal is off then. Brilliant. Well, no, <laughs> because it's, from, it's not from this Deficit Life, and it's also... What was that other 90s album they had? Um, Covering the Satellites. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, so, yeah. And you're not doing anything from... So you're doing the third album, aren't you? Not the second one. That's right. We're covering the Satellites. So. Right. Uh, no, so this is Einstein on the Beach, which... 
uh, was on the DGC Rarities 1994 album, the volume one of DGC Rarities, which uh, uh, I'm sure I've spoken about um, before in a few episodes. But so it was written um, uh, much earlier. Again, it was recorded, yeah, it was recorded around 1991 when they were just starting out and it was a home recording. So they didn't consider it for August and everything after. But when their record label Geffen um, asked them for a song for this album, they handed it over and didn't think that anyone would ever really listen to it because the rarities albums were just kind of a way for the record um, label to, you know, use the kind of musical leftovers that weren't released as, you know, singles or albums or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's. Have you, did you ever have the the rarities album? No. It's so good. It's another album that I played to death because it had loads of brilliant stuff on it. It's got like Nirvana, Weezer, Teenage Fan Club, The Sundays. But what I didn't realise until I was trying to remind myself of the track listing and all my CDs are in storage at the moment whilst um, I'm having worked on the house. What I didn't realise was that there was a European version and a US version. And I had the US version, not the European one. Um, and so this song, have I said what it is? My Son on the Beach, yeah. brackets, for an Eggman, um, was nestled um, between uh, between a grunge couple by That Dog and the Posies Open Every Window, who I feel, which I'm sure we've talked about on some other pod as well. We've talked about the Posies, the Posies. why? Yeah, Reality Bites. That'll be why, that'll be why. Um, yeah, and a whole no beautiful sun. Oh, That's it. Uh, right, okay, so... He wrote this with, with Adam, wrote it with guitarist David Bryson, and he said that it was just kind of a goofy thing that I did. It sort of takes the idea of someone who's a brilliant mathematician like Albert Einstein, or any of us doing creative work on something that seems so clean and brilliant. Sorry, did he just liken himself and his friends <laughs> to Einstein? He did, didn't he? No. Yes, he, he fucking did. Oh, I suppose he did in a way, actually. God, I suppose he did, actually. actually. Yeah. But uh, he said, yeah. <laughs> God, Someone's drinking this self-glorifying Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, where was I going with this? Um, <laughs> I'm quoting him. So yeah, any of us doing any creative work or something seems so clean and brilliant, and then it turns out to be an atomic bomb. So I'm not sure if he still is in- equating himself to that. Oh, listen, I read um, uh, uh, basically a conversation with him recent, fairly recently, in which he said, August and Everything After, it's a perfect album. He's right. Covering Satellites, perfect album. Mm. This Desert Life, perfect album. Hard Candy, perfect album. And it, okay. you know, you see where this is going. It could have stopped after <laughs> the first one. Then I'd have agreed. Uh, yeah. So I mean, he has a very, very high opinion of him. Well, no. He goes on to say that. though. He's a bit more self-deprecating. He said he goes on to say it's your idea, which is so amazing and grateful in and of itself, graceful in and of itself. But it turns into something not so great. Yeah, but that was so the press wasn't. person going for fuck's sake, Adam. <laughs> Turn it down a bit. Everyone's going to hate you. I don't know, he seems like <laughs> That's a really what press nice people guy. are for. <laughs> That's you, why they have them. But have you seen his cooking videos? He does really cute little cooking oh, videos I'm on just, Instagram now. Uh, who knows when he said that? I mean, that could have been contemporary with when he was boning every Hollywood <laughs> actress. He was with Courtney Cox. His, yeah, his ego got, got yeah. the better of him. It was, it was a juggernaut back <laughs> in the 90s. Anyway. Um, I mean, can we make a Adam is a fuckboy t-shirt? 
Actually, do you know what? Actually, no. I think you're right. He later, many years later, said, I think it's a great pop song. I like listening to it every now and then because the harmonies are so good. And the unabashed enthusiasm of my singing on that song is fun <laughs> for me to hear. Amazing. And that sounds so funny to me now because I was listening to a podcast the other day um, or an interview with uh, with Jarvis Cocker and he was asked... Um, if he ever listens to his own music. And he was just like, hell no, <laughs> never. Applause um, for Jarvis. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, look, you know, if you think your album's perfect, then why wouldn't you listen to it again? I mean, it would be interesting to know what other albums from other people he considers perfect. That would be. But he mm. has uh, likened himself and the band, obviously, collectively, um, to the Rolling Stones at this point. Okay, I don't yeah. see it. No, just, you know, they were so successful and while we were coming out, we were like, wow, they've been together for 30 years. And oh. now here we are, been together 30 years, and we thought they were so, you know, cool. And now, but now, we're, you know, we're the heirs and parents kind of thing. We're doing that. And they were still doing amazing music. We're still doing amazing music. And I don't know. love the Candy Crows, but yeah, I mean, they never quite got to the heights of the stage. Listen, I don't think we've ever portrayed ourselves as any kind of sycophantic, apart from Madonna's mentioned. <laughs> You know, adoring little chipmunks who are just like, oh, oh, Adam, you're marvellous. I mean, you know, he's he's very talented. Sounds like he makes a mean eggs benedict as well. Well. (laughs) Right, okay. Mick Jagger, can you say that (laughs) in your face? I'm going to move on to Rain King. So this is the third single they put out from August. Uh, do you know what it's about? What the title refers to? Is it about rain? <laughs> <laughs> it's about ranking. <laughs> Let me enlighten you. You know, I did used to know back in August 2020. <laughs> but I don't, I don't have any memory. Sure, we've actually had two attempts at August and everything yeah, after. It's it never gone was, well. Yeah. <laughs> One that end, the one of the very early ones that ended up in the vault. I think it was oh. about two hours of us blathering on as well. <laughs> oh God, I wish we still had that. Just for a laugh. Not to ever put it out. Of course, it was probably a work of genius and it was probably perfect, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, okay. Um, right, let me enlighten you. The title is a reference to Saul Bellow's Henderson the Rain King from 1959. Uh, have you read it? I think I immediately deleted this information after we found it out last time. I've not read it either, but Adam read it uh, when he was at college in California. He was an English major, did you know? Mm, So not a maths genius then. Yeah, that in common, not a maths genius. Um, So it's a spiritual song about the forces that spur creativity and energise art. Um, You know what I loved about Tori Amos last week was, you know, she was like, "It's, it's... it's there to, you know, you're the vessel, it can, it channels through you, it comes to you. Like, literally, her music was in the air and she was just, you know, seeing it, plucking it and down. Colour. And colour. Hmm. And so his process is a little more, you know, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm creating that. Whereas she saw it more of as a universal energy that she was tapping Channeling. into and seeing, literally seeing in her, in her head, so... I'm not sure that one's better than the other. You know, did I? I didn't say. I'm just finding it very interesting that people have such different ways of looking at their gift. Genius manifests in all sorts of ways. <laughs> we'll uncover our own one day. 
<laughs> Usual. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for the sound effect, but I'm going to dig into this. Uh, Vinton's pink gin in a can from Little. Cheers. <laughs> so good. It's pretty tasty. So, so yeah, the, the, that's what the title refers to, but the, the song isn't really about the book. So the line, Henderson is waiting in the sun, which, he, which, which we just missed. That Henderson is the main character of the book, Eugene Henderson, who is apparently a guy that disrupts the lives of others and makes a mess of everything around him. Um, but the song's not about the book specifically, but it's about how Adam felt about his art. Yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> Every time I look over at Hannah, she's like squirming a little bit, going, shit, it's a bit of a dick. Um, a genius. Um, yeah. I should mention, actually, because it's not true of this desert life, which I'm doing, but my dad was obsessed with Mr. Jones. He bought the album, and then his car kept getting robbed. Like, So he had like a CD player in his boot. Because he, he drove a lot. This, I remember this. Yeah, but we're deleting it now, so it's fine. I can say it again. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, so my dad kept getting his car nicked. Or he, they would rip out the CD thing yeah. from the boot. And all the CDs would be gone. Um, and all the cases lived in our... Lived in his car until he went and dumped them out in our dining room. And then he'd buy them all over again. Like, God knows how many times... How much money he's put in Adam Durrett's <laughs> pocket directly. Because... Honestly, we had about 15 cases at one point. It was fucking ridiculous. There's literally someone in our town who was targeting my dad. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's a compliment. I don't know if they were after the hardware or what was in it, but... So we had the Mark Cohen sleeve. We had Tupac Shakur sleeve. We had Eminem sleeve. Counting Crows and thousands of this one. It was fucking ridiculous. And, um, and so on and so forth. Oh, Lenny Kravitz, Mama said. Uh... 100 copies. That's brilliant, because I told you my story, haven't I, um, when my mum's car was nicked, and she had, not the CDs, but she had a, you know, the long sort of tape cases. Yes, she yes. She had that and a hairdryer on the boot. Hairdryer got nicked. Um, <laughs> uh, it's all right, this is another version okay. of the Rain King. This is a live version. Um, and uh, the robber took the hairdryer and one cassette tape, which this was... This is Rain King. This is a live version. This is Rain King and Thunder Road. Because you know how Canty Crows are quite well known now for... Uh, changing up um, their songs in in live performances and then tagging other stuff yeah. off the ends and stuff. So yeah, I've got a couple of cover versions of not cover versions of live versions of ranking to. Uh... No, you're right. This isn't ranking. <laughs> I was like, God, I'm looking at my Spotify playlist and it's playing something else. This is ranking <laughs> slash Thunder Road live. Okay, where was I? Yeah, so they took this Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, set and left everything else because everything else was just Julio Iglesias. Julio. <laughs> yeah, my friend Adrian at school, his mum had the exact same thing. Her car got stolen. No, well, broken into and rifled through um, in Eastbourne. And uh, and she had those long tape deck things, mm. but they were all Tammy Wynette. And they were all just like really <laughs> ungraciously left like basically sort of shut on. <laughs> oh, poor Tammy. <laughs> I know, poor Adrian's mum. So, uh, okay, this is one of the live versions. Um, so, what else can I tell you about it? Yes, so, oh, this was the first song that they experimented with live. So it often turns into a bit of an extended jam that they improvise on, uh, and this is one of those examples. Um, so they, they often uh, stick a bit of Springsteen's Thunder Road, which is coming any moment. Um, and Jurit says of it, Adam, uh, <laughs> 
God like genie. <laughs> Ads. Ads says, I've never really played in cover bands, so the first time I tried it, I only got a little way through the song and then forgot the rest of the words. Then I did it a few nights later and I got further through the song, and one time I got all the way through the song. It was cool, it just seemed interesting, fun, a different way of looking at my song and that song together. Um, and he also um, likes, likes Brinstein, uh, puts a lot of detail in his lyrics, and he says of that... I think if you want to tell someone how you feel about them in a song, tell them what's on the walls in the room you're in. That's really as silly as it sounds. It works. It works. So, okay. Sorry, I've just you noticed go. your notes, and I uh, just hope you're prepared for how sort of relatively flimsy my this desert life is going to be in comparison to your deep dive. <laughs> I'm not giving you one minute. I've, most of them are quite <laughs> from Adam, and I'm just trying to pick out the, uh, <laughs> the less wanky sounding bits <laughs> now. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> or do I? In fact, no. The wanky the better. Go on, let's do this. Oh, I wonder what how they're gonna what they're gonna play around with when we see them because we're off to see them. Yeah. Where is it? Hammersmith in October. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a reschedule that I'm quite grateful for actually because they were supposed to be playing like any time now actually. Um, and uh, yeah, no, thanks you're to off Verona. Off um, on your travels. Yeah, you? I wouldn't have been able to make it, but. Lucky but, uh, lady, I am very jealous. Roll on October. Uh, okay, what else have I got? Okay, my number four. Will you um, will you Instagram some stuff from your travels? Uh, yeah. To make us all gel. Special requests. <laughs> yes, I, I did. Have I was. I did look at what's playing actually in Mexico City at the time I was going to be there, and I think who was playing Idols? I think maybe or someone I really want to see. But it was like the night that I'm leaving. Well, never mind that. I was thinking more Tequila Factory. <laughs> oh, that happen. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm sure I can uh, some help you out with that. Yeah, and some Absolutely. other delicious, well, wonderful things from Mexico. Okay, we're going to go back to uh, something a bit more somber. Anna begins. I always love this one. Actually, yeah, blue buildings. Oh, I nearly had that, so I ne- I found it really hard. Yeah, because such a it builds into well, so does this one actually. They're yeah. both. Yeah, they're Sullivan Street. I really love as well, and Omaha. It's not a bad track, Just, to be fair. There, there really isn't a bad track. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And Murder of One as well. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. <sighs> but I start Anna begins in because it's oh, it's just yeah, it's great a little bit bit of a heartbreaking one. So, and it's not about Maria, this one. I haven't talked about Maria too much yet, actually. Um, shall I talk about Maria? Do you want to talk about Maria? I don't, but... No, we'll talk about Maria in a bit, actually, because she comes up in the next song. But this one's about, about Anna, um, obviously. Wouldn't you love to know... Who Anna is? How many... No, just generally, how many uh, <laughs> relationships that I'm... Inverted commering myself here. Uh, Adam has had Adam, it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think he's still hot shit? Oh, I actually don't think he's had that many. I think we've, we've heard I think, about them. I, I think. I don't know. We've heard about the biggies. I don't know. But this one, this Anna was from Australia. Uh, a long time ago. International folk boy. <laughs> he met her on holiday in Greece in 1989. Something more and international than I thought. Yeah, she broke his heart. So this was obviously before, you know, before he was famous. Pre-Friends. <clears throat> His pre-Friends rampage. Yeah. 
<laughs> way before Courtney and Jen. Yeah, he was there for them. Yep. Wink. Yep. Apparently he was only with Courtney Cox for like two weeks. That can't be true because she was in his music video. Yes, I've got some more. She was in some other music videos as well, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah she was I in Springsteen. It, yeah, and who else is? Uh, oh, Toad the Wet Sprockets, Good Intentions. I thought hey. of your husband when I when I heard about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Toad. We should do a bit more Toad. No, we shouldn't. Yes. We shouldn't. Oh, great band. Oh, no. So boring. Um, where was I? Set so, the Madonna oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, so he'd saved up. So, so poor Adam at the time, he'd saved up uh, money um, doing some hard graft, landscaping, to be able to afford his trip to Greece. Um, and you know, after this like holiday romance, he and Anna agreed that they, uh, you know, they, they weren't really going to be able to uh, continue the relationship, so they went their separate ways. And the characters, um, he says, the characters keep saying, "I'm not ready for this sort of thing." Until at the end, when they find out what they really aren't ready for is the loss. But then it's too late. But they stayed friends, and they sometimes spoke on the phone, even after Anna got married. And she is apparently a big fan of the song. Imagine being her husband, though. You'd be like, who the fuck are you talking to? What? Oh, just a rock that star. Guy a song about me. Fuck off. <laughs> Goes out with Courtney Cox. It's fine. Not interested in me anymore. <laughs> He's got celebrity girlfriends. Um, okay, so this is what we were talking about a little bit before in relation to Maria. So Adam says that whilst Anna's real, the song... <laughs> Just that a really about him. <laughs> oh, shocker. And in this context, she's a character. I didn't hate him as much when we did this the I first time. I don't hate him, but I, I just hadn't ever thought about it in this way. Yeah. Anna yeah. begins to lose interest in Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants her ticket? Come on. No. He's just writing about what he knows, right? <laughs> She'll take face value, 55 quid. Come on, come on. You've got it. Oh dear. So yeah, Anna's, Anna's really him, but he said that proper names matter to me, so I use them. I think that comes really? across to other people, even if it's not the name they're thinking of. People ask me questions like that all the time. Who's Anna? She's Anna. You don't know her. She's in Australia, but she's every girl you ever felt that way about too. So, so really, she's kind of utterly generic and nothing special. I think that's the point, isn't it? But I'm special. I can't believe she... Really love it then in that case. And well, she did love it until she read that article and she was like, you piece of shit. Jesus. No. No, I don't know. He's... Let's find I, out. I refuse to dislike Let's find Adam Juritz. He just seems like a lovely guy. Really? Um, <laughs> I didn't give that much thought, to be honest, whether I liked him or not. He just comes across really nice. I think he always has. I don't know. He sings so earnestly. I, I just need to... Yeah. Anyway. Listen, they didn't get where they are today by being a mediocre band. Okay, so we can just we can yeah. agree that that is. Yeah. Yeah, they're a great band. This is an amazing album. We have both loved it. Yeah. The whole so time. That that um that really cringy uh, <clears throat> episode that we've I think deleted uh, now from volume one. Yeah, I think we've committed to. Um, well, one of our one of our. Um, earliest uh, listeners my friend my friend Hadley from my university days um I don't think I, I mentioned this at the time but um he uh, got in touch uh, way back uh, ages ago um to say that he'd uh, listened to that first a podcast and thought that Arrested Development and Counting Crows were very good choices because they were definitive soundtracks to his early 90s um and he told me um 
In fact, I'm going to read his message here. He, he told me there's a track on August and Everything After called Anna Begins, and it's one of the most beautiful songs and seems to have followed me into adulthood. I heard a cover of it done by a jazz band in Chicago. I bought a second-hand book, and there was an old bookmark stuck in there made out of the August album art, and Anna Begins was highlighted in red. And I was very grateful for that little bit of information because yeah, it's amazing how you know different songs mean different things to, to people and find them at different times in their lives, and yeah, I love knowing that. It was a really, Thank really good Adam. friend for saying that he enjoyed that episode. <laughs> yeah, also I'm very embarrassed that he did actually go and uh, go and yeah, listen. Can to we it. delete it while we're actually doing this? Yeah, so I think make I me think really, really happy. Should. We need to bury that. Okay, so my number five. I mean, I, I should say that none of these are in any particular order, but I'm not going to be that yeah. idiot who goes, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to yeah. put their most popular song in my in my top five. I would Obviously, have been outraged. Obviously, and I think this is when my husband and I, you know, can't be bothered to find something proper to watch on TV. We'd, you know, put the '90s music videos on, and this—I don't know—the algorithms just got stuck. And Mr. Jones is one that always comes up, so you know, at some point. Um, so, Mr. Jones debuted on the US Billboard Radio Songs chart February the nineteenth, nineteen ninety-four, um, and uh, it topped. Uh, what was it? Top 10 five weeks later. Pizza, only number five though in the US. I thought this would be a number one, but number five. Um, yeah, it was massive. Couldn't get away from it, could you? Fucking massive. But I didn't mind. Yeah. It was one of these songs that was played all the time. Never gets old. Didn't, didn't bother me. In the slightest. Loved it. We had, I had like a discman and my friend Alison and I in break times would try and decipher the lyrics and there's a, there's a part in the lyrics which I mean, I probably said the oh, first It was, um, I would buy myself a... Grey guitar? We couldn't work it out. And it was driving us crazy. And I think it was literally years later that we got a definitive answer. Because grey guitar didn't make any sense. It is grey guitar, though. Yeah, well, we were like 14, you know, so at the time. I was like, what is, what is he saying? He is saying grey guitar. Oh, okay. But it was so, it was like, no, we must be material, you know. It should probably make sense, but... I guess it makes sense. Why not a reggaeton? Yeah. Wanted a reggaeton. Well, it was like, well, what does that mean? There must be a meaning for that, but I, I don't know. Maybe there is in Dritz world. If you know, let Here we us go. know. Yeah, this, this particular bit we can never figure out. It's the... Yeah. If, if I knew Picasso, I would, and then it'd be like, just rewind it. We've got to hear it again. Let's hear it again. Oh, back then when we didn't have genius lyrics or... It Myriad of lyric sites available to us. Here we go, here we go, here it is. Like he just says clear. guitar oddly. Yeah, but it's yeah. fucking clear if you know what he's saying. There's 14, 15 year olds huddled in the, huddled in the common room with one ear each trying to figure out what no, you know, Adam was grabbing on about. Revelation. I just remember that very, very well. <clears throat> So yeah, this the, the yeah this went massive, obviously. Um, but also around the same time, Kurt Cobain died, which um, had a massive impact on Adam. He said, "We heard that um, Kurt shot himself, and it really scared the hell out of me because I thought these things in my life were getting so out of control." Oh my God, is everything about him? He really <laughs> is the centre of his own universe, isn't he? Fucking hell. No, I'll tell you a song. Well, in fact, you might have chosen it. Actually, no, you didn't because it's on Recovering Satellites. But Catapult, which is the first track on Recovering Satellites, was based on how he felt after Kurt died. Um, yeah, so 
Miss Jones, Generation Jones. I remember you telling me about this actually. Um, was a term coined by Jonathan Pontel uh, for people born between 1954 and 1965. Um, and uh, Adam said that he felt honoured that his song Mr. Jones was part of the inspiration for the name Generation Jones. Yeah, he's a bit wrong though because my dad was born in 1949. <laughs> I fucking love this song. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's another like cus- cusper generation, isn't it? Like uh, like me, like the Zennials. The old micro You refuse generation. to be called a Zennial, do. don't you? That's not a generation. It's a, micro, it's a micro generation, it is. Uh, Bollocks. Whatever. Right, so, Mr Jones, do you want to know what it's about? Sure. <laughs> it's about Adam. No! <laughs> Get out of town. So about struggling musicians, Adam, and bassist Marty Jones from his previous band, The Lemonades. Oh, you are very honoured, Marty. <laughs> so they want to be big stars, um, and they believe that when everyone loves me, I'll never be lonely. I've got the wrong bit there. I'm sure um, he's found that to, to yeah. actually not have been the case at all. So it has... Oh, big stars. Oh, it was you prophetic, were. Anyway. You were, Adam. You were. He is, arguably. Um, so yeah, it has been interpreted as a as a, a reference to um, uh, the protagonist of Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man, uh, because of the well, the Bob Dylan lyric. Uh, Mr. Jones wishes he was just someone a little more funky, um, but Adam said that it's really just a song about about him and Marty. And they went out one night to watch Marty's dad play. He was a flamenco guitar player who lived in Spain, um, and he was in San Francisco um, playing with his flamenco troupe. Um, Oh, that explains the flamenco. Yeah, they went to uh, to watch him in a bar called the New Amsterdam, which you know has quite a lot of relevance as well. Oh, um, using the lyrics there. Yeah. <laughs> but then later, oh my god, you're gonna like this. So later in 2013, he explained that even though the song's named for his friend Marty Jones, actually, <laughs> it's about me. <laughs> How does he, he have said, any friends? Actually, at all? I wrote a song about me. I just happened <gasps> to be out with him that night. <laughs> oh my god, he's an egomaniac. I now understand why he's still single. Oh dear. He said the inspiration came because um, he and, and Marty were drunk at a bar after watching, well, yeah, like I said, after watching James's dad. Uh, but then they saw uh, Kenny Dale Johnson, who was the drummer for Chris Isaac, and he was sitting at the bar with three women. And Adam said, it just seemed like we couldn't even manage to talk to girls. We were just thinking if we were rock stars, it'd be easier. And that's when apparently he went home. And, and then fucking wrote hell, the did song. Adam fucking prove that right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so just, just uh, it's your turn soon. But I just wanted to finish up with um, with Maria because, you know, the Spanish dancing, it's, it's yeah. Maria. Don't tell me. As Don't tell me. She was a, a lady of uh, Spanish extract, but really, she's <laughs> <laughs> a dress. So yeah, she's doing the dancing in the bar, but Maria comes up in loads of Counting Crow songs, or like seven of them. Well, five Counting Crow songs and two Himalayans. Yeah, she's um, like a she's songs. like a she's woman that plot device thing. That we can't, yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, he, he said that she's just an idea of someone I came up with when I was running round here. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I mean. She's me. Oh, no, you it's are lying. It's the eyes of a girl, but it's someone very much like me. You didn't say struggling that. Struggling at the edge. Not sure she's going to fall off one side or the other. It's a oh, theme that's man. stuck through songs. So she, or me, keeps popping up. So I think it's quite clear then. He's made it very, very clear. He is in love with Adam. <laughs> and if he could 
sort of screw himself, he, he would. But, but there is a chance that Maria is not always him because he's also said um, that uh, Maria is largely inspired by Maria McKee. Yes, we did know that. Yes. I used to know that back in yes, August said, 2020. Yeah, which is why this isn't one so of Why is he trying five. to deny it now then? What's, uh, what's up no, no, well, he, well, I don't know if he's denying it now. He well, said he's that in, about him. That was in, he, he told the Huffington Post that in 2018, so relatively recently. So he's revising his history. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose he's pondered it. Um, and he said that originally it had a lot to do with Maria McKee, who was a friend of mine and an idol of mine at the time. Uh, and she was a label mate of his at Geffen. Yeah, and she sings. disappeared up his own backside in the meantime. Well, maybe he thought, maybe after giving it some thought, he subconsciously thought, yeah, well, maybe yeah. Maria. I thought, comes I, thought from I was in love with you, Maria, but as it turns out, I'm in love with myself. Wow. But she does sing on August and Everything After. And this song that I'm playing is Maria McKee, um, but Adam Juritz is on it as well. So this is, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. Opelousis? Opelousis? What's that place in Louisiana? Can I see it? Opie, yeah, like that. Oh, Opie Loose. Is it the? Is it, is it the? Is it? Um, somewhere in Louisiana. Anyway, that's the name of the song, but it's on the Sweet Relief album, the you know the tribute album to uh, uh, Victoria Williams. That I'm sure we've talked about as well because Soul Silent, Pearl Jam, Crazy Mary, Buffett oh, Tom on it. But yeah, so on Spotify. <clears throat> um, it's just credited to Maria McKee, but you can hear Adam Jewett singing on it as well. So. So don't worry, Maria, love. It, it, it genuinely is about you. It's just he's been revising history lately, <laughs> pondering himself. Who knows? We know, the, we know the truth. Right. Over to you. All right. Oh, I'm okay. Back to work. Unceremonious. Right. So we're, gonna, we're skipping uh, Recovering the Satellites. It's generally considered to be a bit of a Debbie Downer, um, and uh, I guess it's hard to to follow up to August and everything after really. So we're skipping over covering the satellites of '96, um, and we're going straight to their third studio album, which came out in '99. So this desert life. Um, I thought you would like to hear what the critics said. So our old fave Stephen Thomas Erlewine. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's likely people would consider this long-delayed third album as another retro effect, uh, retro effort by a traditionalist band. But it's actually the most individual and finest album yet. Ooh. Um, he found it to be extremely cohesive, and he loved hanging around better than any of their other up-tempo numbers uh, that they'd ever done before. And he called it a classic rock album. High praise indeed. It is, yeah. You know, he is one tough bastard when it comes to mm. slaying in print gotta say i wouldn't have had him down as a county crows fan because yeah. that's the other thing about county crows that it's it's not really that that cool to admit you're oh, a, it's a tough one it was in 93 i feel like yeah and everyone i've never met anyone that said august and everything after that's a shit album no but yeah if you told people like yeah we're going to see the counting crows like <laughs> You probably get a bit of a mixed response. Like, yeah, really? I mean, Are they still like alive? Coldplay, but no, don't, don't, don't go there. Hit. I mean, that's that's me. I mean, I know that Adam can be a bit not. much, but <laughs> <laughs> God's sake, he's not. Uh, he's not Mr. Paltrow now, is he? Uh, eek. Well, not he. 
Anyway, uh, so the cover art, can you summon it up in your mind? I know your facts. Mm. And it's lovely little linky link to, uh, to A, anyway, to Tori Amos. <laughs> it's a man with a goldfish, goldfish bowl on his head, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's like two fish in it. So uh, the cover art is by comic book artist Dave McKean, better known for his work with Neil Gaiman. I was mispronouncing it in the Tory episode. I'm sorry about that. Apologies, everyone. Oh, did you? What did you call him? A Gaiman. Oh, okay. Apparently a common yet, you know, ridiculous mistake. And uh, and I actually watched a YouTube video where Neil Gaiman was like, I've called up a comic book store or somebody said they called up a comic book store and they called him Neil Gaiman. And they were like, dude, it's Neil Gaiman, actually. So common mistake, yet completely wrong. Anyway. Uh, Dave McKean, the illustrator, uh, he adapted the Game and Picture book The Day I Swapped My Dad for Two Goldfish and allowed them to use it. Because, as it turns out, uh, Neil Gaiman, big fan of Toriomis, also a big fan of Counter Crows. And very specifically, Adam. Toriomis <laughs> <laughs> himself. Um, He's got something in common with Adam. So, yeah, I think, um, I think this was almost the natural successor. I think a lot of people feel kind of a way about recovering the satellites um and it just maybe is a bit bleak maybe he's lacking the joy you know um hang on what's a long december on is that on this or is that on recovering no the that's satellites? recovering the satellites okay. and a beautiful tune but there's nothing that isn't heavy i feel like so anyway, that would have been my top six <laughs> we're gonna get into hang around because it's extremely joyful i'm very very happy sure we can hear it um, all right so charted at number 46 in the uk number 28 in the usa a little jungle drum that we're hearing here distorted guitar which i have to say i do love that it's so good this is like a party in a track isn't it it gives you that sense of something's happening you know mm, i'm getting it's atmospheric i've got to admit like i i've never never given this album the time of day a bit Spin Doctors y. What's wrong with that? Much <laughs> better than Spin Doctors. And I quite like Spin Doctors actually. Mm. Yeah. Oh, come on. I think this is I think it, this is on point. So this track is like the natural heir to Mr. Jones. And it's basically, Adam says, I've put, so now we know where I was planning on calling him Adam. Adam says, it's about partying, hanging around clubs for 10 years. Playing, drinking, having fun. So he's got like a, it's a bit of a hip hop drum beat, and he was basically saying they didn't know if it was going to happen or not, and it kind of occurred to them that, wait, <laughs> what are we doing? We can't just get pissed every night, recovering from our hangovers, and just playing video games and then getting pissed again and playing blah 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 blah. So the video, I don't know if you remember the video. Rolling Stones did. I think they still are. <laughs> Somewhere. Keith Richards is fucked. <laughs> um, so he's sitting on like, um, in like one of those benches uh, on the side of the street for like uh -huh. people waiting for a bus. Yep. And there's like a dog really, really chasing its tail like madly and then there's people coming and going and he's just sitting there and then they're in a party and he's like, it's like one of those overhead shots, you know, and... Everyone's playing and it's like a house party. Yeah. I think it invokes house party, basically. It screams house party. And I love that. I love the excitement it gives you to listen to it, you know. It's a fucking 
brilliant way to open an album, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's no Mr. Jones. I find it charming. Nice. Yeah, it's charming, I agree. I like it. Um, so, uh, the chorus of the song was used as a theme for the 2006 NBC sitcom Four Kings, which apparently never made it to the UK, but uh, it did have Seth Green in it, who played the uh, werewolf in Buffy. And he was basically in like half the 90s teen movies that came out, so I do love Seth Green, I think he's great. I think his dad is like some big deal, um, either he's a producer or a casting agent or something, so. Right. That is probably why he's in loads of stuff. Well, However, he's a very good actor, and I do think he's great. Um, so, the B-side to this, and I don't understand it, and I couldn't find out why, but apparently the B-side was A Long December from Covering Satellites. Oh! Maybe so, it was a different version? I don't know why, but, well, they released A Long December in 96, and then they re-released it in 97 as a, as a single again. So, no clue, but as we mentioned earlier, the video featured Courtney Cox. Yes. And several people have said that the video is the perfect accompaniment. And I'm sure that Adam would absolutely agree with them. It's like he's playing a piano in the woods, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And she's like very 90s. And he's lo- she's alone running letters. Just longing. Just, yeah. Longing. Yeah. Uh, so it even ends like a house party. Goes on a bit too long. Yeah. <laughs> Someone wailing in the background. He's <laughs> walking around, picking up bottles in a bin bag, pushing no, out. No, no, that's us these days, love. <laughs> we never did that shit before. <laughs> we tried to sneak out so we didn't have to help. <laughs> All right, this one's Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. Now, this has got Maria in it. Well, I think she may indeed be that kind of device, which is actually Adam. Uh, <laughs> But um, no, it's about Monica Potter, the actress. Now, AD, I've put <laughs> shorthand, AD, uh, supposedly. He's never confirmed, confirmed. However, people have have said that it is true. First of all, I was like, how could it be Mrs. Potter? Obviously, Monica Potter was a young actress in Hollywood. But actually, um, she was born Monica Brokaw. So she was Mrs. Potter, she'd been married. Uh, she got divorced in 98. Yeah. So apparently he was watching a movie and no one has had it confirmed which movie it was. Um, but in the movie theatre and he started to imagine falling in love with the lead actress, which was Monica Potter. Right. And then he went away and he wrote the song. He then, um, through his Hollywood contacts, which was a complete coincidence, which I bet it wasn't, she ended up going to dinner with Adam and their mutual friends at which point you know she was at liberty from Adam's perspective to just go ahead and start falling in love with him <laughs> <laughs> but apparently he uh, took her to the studio I think and played her the track and was like actually I wrote this for you so this was way after Courtney and Jennifer then wasn't it well yeah it would be it would be it would be sometime around 98 98 99 so we, we can't be sure I don't know exactly but um so I like to think, I checked out her back catalogue, I like to think that um, he was watching Martha meet Frank, Daniel and Lawrence, do you? No. You never saw that film? So it's a, it's a British kind of nonsense, sort of romantic comedy sort of thing. So it's got like, is it Tom Hollander? Oh right, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Rufus Sewell, who I 
just love. Um, I've, I've loved him ever since I saw him in um, Middlemarch. He played a very sensual Will Ladislaw. Oh, I can't <laughs> stand Victorian oh, period dramas, though. What? Oh, he's so good in it, too. He's all intense and shit. Like, it's great. I mean, it's a really, it's a very good, true rendition of it as well that the BBC obviously did. Anyway, um, I think that was out in 94. Me and my mum would <laughs> make sure we were tuning in. I never told her it was about Will Ladislaw, though. <laughs> Anyway, he's in it, and he plays like a real bounder and a bastard and stuff, which is very different to Will Ladislaw, but anyway, he's brilliant in it, and that's probably why I watched it. But the, the, the kind of hero of the movie is Joseph Fiennes. Ah, oh, no, it's okay. I never got that. I was like, why don't go for Joseph Fiennes? Come on, there's like Rufus Sewell. Let's go, honey. Um, would you like to know what Joseph Fiennes' full name is? I just looked it up, and I had to. I had okay. to show it for a Joseph Alberic Twizzleton. Wickham finds Twizzleton. That's not real. Yes, it is. It is. Um, fun fact: Shakespeare in Love came out uh, the same year as Martha Meet Frank Daniel Lawrence in '98. Hang on, I need some time with Twizzleton. Wow. Another fun fact: nothing to do with Canterbury's, but Joseph finds has a twin brother. What's his middle name? I don't know. I just know his name is. Is it Jacob? He must have been the second twin because they've used up all the good names on Joseph. Um, yeah, because I think I told you this, but my brother, uh, for a while, kept getting mistaken for Joseph Fiennes around London on the tube. <laughs> so when people asked for his autograph, he'd just give it to them. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, are you Joseph Fiennes? And he'd be like, well, yes, I am. <laughs> so there are some I hope he signed it Twizzleton as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't know about that, but I always love that. Um, Joseph Fine's nephew, Hero Finds Tiffin. Yes, another brilliant Tiffin. name coming out of the gate there. Love um, a Tiffin. He played um, Tom Riddle in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which my brother was up for that exact role, but didn't get it. Lost out to fucking Joseph Fine's nephew, which I don't even know if he probably does know that. But shit, right? Anyway, he was still singing Mrs. Bottles Lullaby. It's a long one, isn't it? <laughs> it's a long song. Mm. Anyway, getting back to uh, Martha, a.k.a. Uh, Monica Potter. They didn't get it together or anything. He played the song. She said she loved it. Then she had to go away, presumably on a press junket to England to do press for Martha Meet Frank Daniel Lawrence. In right. my head, that's what happened. Anyway, all I know is she went away. And then he uh, pined very much for her. And he wrote a song about it. And he oh, called it this? Four Days. And actually, I, I do love this one. It's really good. But yeah, she went away, and then he was all like, I really do love her. It's so amazing. And then they came back and got together, and then they had a brief romance. He's so earnest in his... In his singing, I'm just, I he's just really, love it. he's this reeling them in. Pure. I, I know guys like this. I'm just going to go out on a hazard sort of mm. and just say, who were very much in love with love. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Cast themselves. That. Yes. It's the leading man, hero, the whole thing. But reality inevitably sets in after the first couple of weeks. <laughs> a, a tragic hero, though, isn't it? Well, it's always doomed mm. because it's not the girl; it's about him. So when it actually becomes a real relationship, it's inevitably going to break down because there's no depth. 
Yeah, like star-crossed lovers, but he's both of the lovers. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. The girl is just, you know, Adam, but without the little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Oh, bless. Oh, dear. Someone on Twitter actually said, uh, Adam Duritt says he's colorblind. You know, there's another track on this album. But uh, he... It's a bit rem this one. But he's got... <laughs> yeah, he said he, he's got white boy dreads. And he says he's colorblind, and yet he's never dated a, uh, a woman of color. Oh, is that true? I guess. He's... I don't know. I'm just saying the guy on Twitter said it. He's <laughs> got Russian. Know it's I think he's like. Is it like he's Russian Jewish, Jewish ancestry? Yeah. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, but yeah, something about this song, I mean, it does take you back to that time where you just like could not wait to see someone again, you know, and you were just completely consumed with the whole thing. I think we can all, we can all be guilty of romanticizing an event yeah absolutely. where you barely know the person but in your head that they're, they're the perfect person for you and it's just gonna work out so great and you know the sooner you can crack on with this the better etc so very into mrs. Potter uh, oh um so the this backing is vocalists have you hear that, that here, here it comes very REM-y yeah that's what I just said yeah oh, did you I like it so much yeah um, so the backing vocalists included Gary DeRosa and Sinjin Tate. Sinjin Tate of the 90s rock band Remy Zero, who my brother had that album as well, actually, uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and um, interesting uh, link to Radiohead via Sinjin Tate of Remy Zero. Remy Zero toured the US with Radiohead on their The Benz tour. Oh, very good link. Prior to having ever recorded anything for their for their record deal, um, but apparently Radiohead had gotten hold of their demo tape and signed them up without needing to know any more about them. Ah, nice. Yeah. So I've got another Radiohead link. Actually, do you want to hear it? No. Yeah, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> but the first, I typed in Counting Crows Radiohead into Google. And it came up with this uh, with this article whose title is Counting Crows Do a Radiohead. And it's because um, after 18 years with Geffen Records, um, they decided to ditch them um, and shun modern uh, music technology. No, sorry, that's the wrong part of the album. They basically did a Radiohead in that they uh, decided to, you know, release their album online. Mm. Like Radiohead did with, what was it, In, in Rainbows? Was it In Rainbows? Who would have thought we'd have even like this many links? Never would have put. Who would have thought? Counting Crows and Radiohead, they're not like the easiest bedfellows, are they? Yeah. They said the internet opens a world of limitless possibility where only the boundaries are the boundaries of your own imagination. Hmm. Oh, and to prove their intent, the band is offering a free download on its website, a cover of the Madonna track, Borderline! Boom! <laughs> Great. Which sadly, I can't she had two fucking mentions now. God. It was the same fact. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Just in case you weren't paying attention the first time, Lily. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm deeply into this. Um, Madam Jennifer's local biologist Sussex Dry Gin. It's really good, ice. isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm going to need to have another one of them. Or maybe I've had too many. I'm not really sure. You've not had dinner, you told me. That's, yeah. I know. Have another gin. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> Uh, okay, this one is All My Friends. Oh, 
Now this is going to shock you, Hannah, but this one's about Adam. <laughs> this sounds like it could be on August. I mean, I, you know, he's the songwriter. It's not that crazy. Although I have noticed, he, if he's not writing about himself, he, it's third person. It's Maria. You know, or it's Hannah, or Mrs. Potter. Or it's a random boy, or this guy lived here, or that, that still boy him. is. Yeah, probably. Actually, I, I you're probably right. I can't bring myself <laughs> to hold it against him, though. I, no, I'm not holding it against him. I mean, what do I know about writing, you know, um, beloved One albums. way or another. <laughs> I do love this song. So, this one's very on the nose anyway. It's, it's putting it out there. It's basically saying that uh, everyone's kind of bypassing him. So he'd go away on tour doing the same old songs, then he'd come back and his friends were getting married and having babies. This would fit on August easily. It's got that vibe. I agree with you, yeah, totally. Um, and I did think, you know, like I'm sure all of Adam's friends, um, you know, with their steady jobs and wives and, and kids and dogs probably. Um, Mundane non-celebrity girlfriends. Yeah, they all thought, you know, their world-famous rich rock star mate who basically only goes out with beautiful A-list model actresses is a right loser. <laughs> hey, Adam, uh, why don't you try and level up, buddy, yeah? Huh? Where's your dog? Yeah? Where's your garage? <laughs> yeah. This pity party may have fell on deaf ears, is all I'm trying to say. He was quite hot back in the day. Was he? I did like his appropriated dreads, yeah. Did you? Yeah, you know, I was it. thinking about his dreads. Like, can you even call them dreads? They were more like, you know, they're like dark brown corn puffs. <laughs> they looked like they would be soft, you know, if you squish them. I think well, they'd be like well, you don't want them to be hard. Squishy. <laughs> well, dreads are. Yeah, but they, they're sort of. I can prefer the idea of well, not, not corn puffs. Then they wouldn't be soft, though, would they? Do you mean more well, like cotton wool? Well, people have said, oh, well, they're they're like fake, you know, like he bought them. But I really? think if you look at it. They're not fake, you know. They They're are hair dreaded, but because he's, you know, obviously not working with, you know, Afro hair, they just don't quite, you know, jam together, maybe, or I don't know. They just look corn puffy to me. I don't know if I've ever paid that close attention. Well, I, I've seen a lot of pictures of him lately. So. Maybe what it is it, it is I that Mister. It's the Mister Jones video where he's wearing he's wearing an Eddie Vedder jacket. Basically, he's got you know that brown corduroy. There's, must, there's something about a man in brown corduroy. In the 90s. I, this is a revelation. I can't believe I'm hearing this. Uh, anyway, ex-girlfriend luminaries included... Not uh, corduroy, maybe suede. What was it, corduroy? Probably cord. It's very, it's a very 90s thing, isn't it? His ex-girlfriends included Emily Rossum, Christina Applegate, Playboy model Trishelle Canatella, um, and around this time, uh, I, I believe it was Christina Applegate, which any American guy of a certain age I found is whoever watched Christina Applegate in um, you know the, the Bundy family I can't think of what that's called no oh damn it With Katie Siegel no yeah. I can't it'll come to me anyway Mary Louise Parker who I happen to love I think she's amazing okay I take it back he has a lot of women yeah oh well this is just the tip of the iceberg but you know did you ever watch Weeds oh, that was so yeah. good Mary Louise Parker's great in that uh, Winona Ryder Really? And around the August and Everything After period, which I had never heard before. I thought uh, she was a... That's... Hmm. I know. She was a day Perna around that time, wasn't she? This is rumoured, but it was like a fling. Mm. You know how she likes a 90s musician, though, Hannah, that cannot be denied. Right. Who doesn't, frankly? And this is a bit of a weird one. Laura Flynn Boyle from Dren Peaks. Oh. <laughs> Who played the crazy girl in Wayne's World. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was around that time, I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, oh yeah, actually I have a quote about his hair. Up rocks, had this, and it was so good I had to bring it. The saddest dreads known to bird and mankind. <laughs> to bird? <laughs> yes. Have you ever seen a bird with dreads? I think they might be insinuating that it's nesty. Uh, but anyway, um, oh, <laughs> Twitter says, I can use a slate. Had this to say, Adam Duritz was my generation's Pete Davidson. <laughs> Which I thought was really good. I'm just Googling pits. They, they look like Crusty the Crown. Oh my God. I think he shaved them off now. And you can kind of see why when you look at some of his later pictures. <laughs> it got a bit uh, Cossack hat-ish. Yeah, know? it looks more like a wig now. Yeah. yeah, do you know what though? It Maybe it was. You know, like Amy Winehouse, you know, she started backcombing her hair and then in the end, well, that was all extensions and stuff, you know, it wasn't her real hair because it was like unsustainable to keep doing it. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, get to the um, point of uh, colourblind. So this is the very last bit. This piano is gorgeous. I just love it. Super atmospheric, this one. Um, this track, um, featured in Cruel Intentions which also came out in 99. Piano and lyrics is Adam Duritz. Mixing him up with Dave Perner a bit, I think. It's not as hot as I remembered him being. Neither of them are, I know, quite frankly, but anyway. Um, so he's playing the piano in this track, and he also wrote the lyrics and obviously singing him. Um, but he recently stated that he actually completely forgot how to play the piano. Oh, wow. So apparently he has this condition which is basically dissociation, mm. which makes him feel as though reality is like a movie he is seeing through his eye holes and that he is only inhabiting the back of his head and looking out. Which is very being John Malkovich, I thought. That's exactly. Maybe that could explain a lot about, like, you know, the characters and seeing himself through yeah, other people. Like, what, you know, like looking down on him. To reality. From above, or, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um... So, did you want to hear some fun facts about colorblindness? By the way, I did Google, is Adam Duritz colorblind? And all it comes up with is the video to colorblind, which is like, that's not a helpful Google. What's going on over at Google? If you work for Google, can you look into that, please? Secondly, I then tweeted him. You tweeted Adam? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What? But I haven't heard back yet, so sorry about that. What, you just said, are you colorblind, Adam? No, I think I lied and said I was asking for a friend. <laughs> well, I thought, well, he could only ignore it, and he, he, he's, yeah. he's holding fast to ignore it, so. <laughs> if uh, anyone knows. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's a, you know, device for the writing. He could actually be colorblind, I just wanted to know. Do you ever get that way when you're researching, and then you just have to know something? Finally, I was like, I just fucking ask him. <laughs> That's the beauty of social media except when they don't reply which I why think, would he I reckon he does well there are different time zones I reckon I think he will <laughs> okay well, you can you can choose to believe that maybe comment on one of his uh, egg making videos maybe that is the way yeah. to his ask him how do you know if heart. your eggs are done if you're colourblind like, <laughs> <laughs> um uh, what was I going to tell you? Oh yes, the song was covered by Leona Lewis. Can you imagine that? Really? Don't try and imagine that. Don't, is you that don't the cover that, that you're going to play me? Fuck no. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. No, this is Scarlett and, Col and Colnacki Brothers. 
and they've just done whole albums of choral versions of, of pop songs, basically. Hmm. It's actually quite lovely. They, they also do like Metallica, which is really entertaining. I can actually recommend that, but... It's quite pleasant. In fact, they've got like 10 albums of this stuff, so get on Spotify and check out um, these guys because... Well, it's the whole chorus. Um, they also covered Creep, which is really oh, quite good. Oh, I think that would give me nightmares. But it's also another link to Radiohead. Okay, not the same album, but still, Radiohead. I do you want to lay it Um... But obviously, oh, no, I wasn't This is a bit freaky. Whole... I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't. It's <laughs> <laughs> me feel queasy. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I was going to quickly talk about um, Butter Miracle, Sweet One. Have yeah. you heard it? No. Let's play that. Well, the first track is called, I think it's called Tall Grass, and I really hated it. I was like, oh no, oh no, we just bought tickets, this is bad, this is very bad. Um, but this is the second track, it's called Elevator Boots. And honestly, it feels like a return to form, and actually most of the album is. It's very short. There's like different renditions of it. Um, so apparently, he went to visit a friend in 2019 who had a farm in a remote place in the West Country here in England oh. and he basically wrote it there um, and I think at one point yeah he realised he'd forgotten how to play piano because his brain is just a bit unusual so whilst he used to be able to play really well he just couldn't anymore Wow, how so weird. he had to like relearn again but um, yeah I really enjoyed this yeah, track actually a couple of them are really good I'm quite looking forward to watching them, them actually That's fun. I wasn't expecting it to be so desert-like. familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Familiar is the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's unmistakably counting crows, isn't it? It's just very distinctive voice. Yeah. But yeah, there's a bounciness to it. It's yeah. really nice. I really didn't like Tall Grass though. I mean, it'd be interesting to know what other countries oh, I think, but I haven't listened to it at all. It made me squirm a bit. I was like, oh no, it's all going to be like this and I'm going to hate it and what have we done? But it's Ooh, fine. Was it like Eddie Vedder and... Yeah, I can't even, it just, it's very strange. But I don't I'll think it's going to grow on me. You know, you know when you just don't feel that much about something, but you know that it's possible that it's going to grow on you. Mm. I did not get that impression with this one, so... And yeah, so that's about it. Um, that's it from me, Chief. Thank you. Do you like A Desert Life any better than you did before? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike it. I've just never spent too much time with it. But I will, you know, especially now that we're, you know, going to go and see them soon. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it'll always be about and everything after. Like, I'll never be able to, you know, catch up with everything else to that extent because I played that album. Yeah, so much it really was, you know, the soundtrack to my, I don't know, being 14 or whatever. Well, should we play Long December while we do our... Yeah, let's... You can contact us by... So, you can contact us, uh, you can tweet at us, at SemiGSP, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Society's Media Nights Podcast. You can send us a message, a voicemail on Anchor FM. Uh, you can leave us a review. Um... Can rate us on Spotify now. Yep. If you live on the east coast of America, you could put a message in a bottle and it might even make it. 
Oh my god, can we do that? That would be so much fun. (laughs) And we'll definitely send you some merch. (laughs) Chuck it in a bottle back at you. (laughs) I don't think that's going to work, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so until next time. time. Ta-ra. Bye.